coming up on Life is a Festival. But you stick with me. Time is moving forward for me. The sun is going to rise over there. And we are going to be standing in triumph. You're going to a fucking level tonight. And we are already there. All right? We are already standing out there watching the sunrise. And we are celebrating. And we're going to go dance the sunrise set. And you will have freaking leveled, okay? In the meantime, we have an opportunity. And you just tell them, like, you know it's the truth. And, like, because you do. And so many times I have seen total breakdown to total breakthrough. It's the most beautiful thing you ever see. They come in naked, raving, security brought them in. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. And they leave their, like, freaking superheroes. I am a living God conscious of my power. I am going to go tell that girl I love her. I'm going to quit this shitty job. I'm going to go have an amazing festival. And, like, if you get to see that three times in a weekend, like, who gets to see shit that beautiful? They don't pay us because they know we do it for free. (laughs) My name is Eamon Armstrong, and this is Life is a Festival. This podcast is a celebration of thinkers and leaders who live their lives with the open-hearted, experimental joy of a festival. Each week, we converse in complete openness, in an ongoing quest to find those boundaries in our being and melt them into lofty horizons. Life is a festival, only to the wise. Well, my fellow travelers, what a long, strange summer it seems to be. There are no festivals There just seems to be an increasing number of coronavirus cases due to botched leadership. There has been powerful awakening of racial injustice. And Kanye is now running for president. What a mess. Well, today I am so happy to have a playful, fun, silly little conversation with a true psychedelic legend. Today I am speaking with the Tea Fairy. The Tea Fairy gets her name from the fabled tea time of the Rainbow Gathering, which is, as she says, a pirate tea house of no minor psychedelic repute. And she is a master at the playful art of trip sinning. She has been doing it in one form or another since Rock Med in the 90s. On the show today, we talk about the art of trip sitting and why we should see a difficult trip not as an emergency, but rather as an emergence. We talk of protecting ourselves from conspiracy theories, our own personal mythologies, and even from the psychedelic renaissance itself. And finally, we end with the question, if the global pandemic is like a bad trip, how would the tea fairy turn our dark night of the soul into psychedelic benefit enhancement? And in fact, we touched this briefly during the podcast and actually the tea fairy asked to offer an additional addendum, which is included after the outro. So she goes a little deeper on this subject of psychedelic peer support for a time of global emergence. Um, this conversation was fun. That, that real magic of, of the dark night of the soul blossoming into the beautiful sunrise set of triumph. Um, 
it really harkened me back to those moments in a time where the difficult dark tunnel appears to be never ending. And not to say that life has not been at all like a festival, even in quarantine, but there's something so ecstatic about breaking breakdowns into breakthroughs in community at a festival. And the Tea Fairy really brought me back to that experience, and I hope she does for you too. So, without further ado, if you, dear listener, happen to be suffering from a little post-ecstatic bliss disorder, sit down and join us for some tea. Weird little ritual, but this is... The be- it's going to be loud, probably. It's all right. Game on. So that was the T-horn? What is the T-horn? The T-horn is... Uh, I got... Well, you can't see the picture on the podcast, but I got this thing when it was new. And I've been carrying it around with me for 10 years, but... The name Tea Fairy comes from, do you know what the Rainbow Gathering is? If you ever wonder, yeah, if like patchy hippie kids with vans and whatever gets together, they do. And the tea house is my kitchen. And you know that Alice in Wonderland bit about it's always tea time? It's the one kitchen that is always open. And so Mm. it's become, well, it's the psychedelic emergence I never say psychedelic emergency. I say psychedelic emergence with the Y in parentheses, right? But it's a cusp. Mm. And you can mm. find, right? So I work psychedelic emergence or integration. And you can f- find your camp at Burning Man because it's on 315 and G, right? But at Rainbow, you will keep walking into the woods if you're lost. And so it's sort of the designated sacred loud-ass camp, which, you know, they're all down there being shanty with the feather and somebody, you know, yelling, focus, and somebody needs to be up on the hill yelling, fuck us, dose us, right? But it's also the, we have to blow these horns into the night and make a huge ruckus every 15 minutes, or, you know, some people would just keep walking. And so, you know, the trippers crawl. It's like a lighthouse. It's a lighthouse. It's a pirate tea house of no minor psychedelic repute. And... You know, it's where trippers crawl through the woods and find it in the middle of the night. And so the tea fairies are here for you. We will roll you a joint. We will listen to your testimony. We'll take you to the shitter. We'll play you some music. And then we'll, like, you know, yell into the woods, you can't stop us. We can't stop ourselves, you know, and make a big ruckus every 15 minutes. And so that's where I started doing psychedelic emergence work. And it's been now... Well, I'm 46, so it's been half of my life. And when I started trip-sitting a lot, people realized if they call me Tea Fairy, because whoever's, whoever's on duty is always called Tea Fairy, it reminds me that I am kinky to serve you. Like, almost genuinely kinky to serve you. It's not submissive. It's just, maybe it's just how I charge my subprime karma card. Because if, you know... Serving this kid for 10 minutes is 10,000 years for this kid sometimes, right? And so, like, the opportunity to do service is sort of compacted. (laughs) 
And if I can go find your car and get your jacket for you or whatever, like I am thrilled to death to go and do that. And so people say, oh, tea fairy, would you mind bringing me a little? Oh, of course I will. Right. And so that's where the whole tea fairy thing started. And the I blow the horns before I do a speech, before I do. And in the middle of the night, if I just want to salute somebody, like the name of somebody I love comes up or somebody awesome passed away, like, you know, recently Ram Dass passed away and. Uh, winter solstice and like you know I found out about it at three o'clock in the morning but believe me I'm blowing the horn really loudly in my little apartment building which is fine because they've got crying babies downstairs and they make noise and I make noise but yeah that's that thing the way you describe the role of the tea fairy reminds me of Hanuman the monkey um, who was who forgot his power. He was made to forget his power because he misbehaved. And then when Sita was captured by Ravana and Ram was trying to find Sita, Hanuman pledged his service to Ram. And in the profundity of his service, he was able to find in himself the strength to leap to the island of Lanka. But that only happened because of this surrender to service where that deep superpower was discovered. And right, the willingness um, to I submit to for, service. Exactly. And that sounds like you have a Hanuman-esque approach to uh, psychedelic support. Well, it, 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 I, I don't give it lightly. Hanuman is, is actually my favorite of the Hindu pantheon. It's the monkey. Yeah, he's a, he's a monkey, he's silly, but also his superpower is discovered in service. And I think it's a lesson for all of us because when we try to leverage our greatest skills to our own egos, we have a, an opportunity to step on our tail. But <laughs> when we... When we when we take our, our 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 best our best abilities and we bend them towards service, they become even more majestic and compounded. Well, I can tell you what it saves my ass when I am having a hard time. You know, like let's say I'm having a slightly bad trip. I'm not working right because I don't trip when I'm working. But let's say I'm having a chewy one at some event, right? And I and you know I'm just kind of fending it off or whatever. And I come across somebody who is actually deeply in need of my service. I don't have time for a demonic attack right now. That shit goes away. Like, mm. none of my other efforts to make it go away work. But, like, you know, or when something bad is happening in the world or something's difficult and I'm slightly freaking out about, you know, the apocalypse or the plague or the riots, when somebody's like, I'm scared, I need help, oh, mine disappears. I don't know if it's mama bear. I don't have any children. But, like, if, if somebody can just please need my help, I can stop dealing with my own bullshit right now. Oh, my God. That totally happened to me at Lightning in a Bottle one year. I, I'd broken up with my ex-fiance and was totally, like, heartbroken. At and everything was going wrong. No, prior, but she was at the festival with her new boyfriend. And, so you're still um, hurting for I was, certain. I was hurting and I was and I was definitely just full of self-pity and misery and other things were going on. There's a whole maelstrom of 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 unhappiness. And at midnight, my friend taps me on the shoulder and says, It's midnight. It's my birthday now. And I was Aww. like, All right, Eamon. All right, put some air in the tires. We gotta take Courtney, we got to take Courtney on an adventure around lightning in a bottle because it's her birthday and it's not about me anymore. So and I got to stop being miserable. And it's your duty to celebrate with this ex- person. Ex- exactly. And for me, in that moment, it was immediate because it was like, well, I can be miserable and just sit in my, in my pity party, which has not been going that great. 
Or I can just completely <laughs> reorient to this person I love and it's her birthday. You know, it's her birthday. It's not about me. And that's one of the enormous qualities of service too. It gets you out of your own drama. Well, and I take the sacred duty part of it seriously, but not, I always say that I'm almost never serious, but I'm almost always sincere. And so I take it very sincerely. And when I have an opportunity to perform my sacred duty, like I said, whether it's just charging my subprime karma card or just being worth my carbon footprint for the day or whatever, I'm like, yes. My mother says God is never serious but always sincere. And I think that there's something about the playfulness with which we must approach even our most dire circumstances that is embedded in that little quip is to say like, it is so, the stakes seem so high in so many situations. I mean, if you look at the world in this moment, in this moment, the stakes seem so high and we must approach them sincerely. We must approach them sincerely. But to lose all possibility of joy in that moment, uh, I think there's something deeply lost in that. Well, you have to approach it with right effort and with, you know, the willingness to put in the work. But if you lose your sense of humor, I think that you're lost. You know, if you can't find something, there's times when it's not appropriate to make that joke. Okay. But if you can't say it in your head and like appreciate the humor of the moment, I feel like it's really easy to get bogged down in, you know, how scary it is. And, and shit is scary. You know, and so you, I think maintaining that sense of humor is maybe part of a sacred duty. Mm, and, and sharing that levity. You know, I, I, th- I think that one of the things, so I've, I've done psychedelic peer support through the Zendo Project, certainly not as long or as deeply as the work that you've Have done. Have we ever worked I've together? Work. I've worked every single freaking Zendo show, but I don't, I, sometimes <laughs> it shifts. We, we have never worked together because I would absolutely remember having worked with you. You and I have, I have not had that pleasure, but someday we will. Someday we will share that I have space. worked every, well, okay, except for Africa Burn. I have worked every single freaking Zendo show for the last five years. Except for one, one Envision when I was on strike. And I, I, I worked 26 shows, not this year, but last year, right? Every freaking weekend from April to Burning Man, basically, I was doing this. I never get paid. I'm lucky if I get a shower token, right? But I'll be damned if I'm going to pay to do it. And it costs $500 to get out to Envision. <laughs> and uh, they missed me, actually, uh, since they had to do some of that themselves. And so they paid for me to fly out there. I didn't get paid, but they paid for my airplane ticket the next time. In fact, Erica got me a first-class ticket because she got upgraded. <laughs> And so, but basically I've I've worked every other show. When was the very first time that you ever did psychedelic peer support for another person? When's the first time in a formal capacity? I I mean, I'm going to count being a tea fairy, which again was maybe 22 years ago, right? Because like, this is our job. I, and then I was a peachy puff in the early nineties. Jerry was still alive. The Grateful Dead, if that tells you when. So it was 1992, 93, which the Peachy Puffs are those girls in the little outfits who sell $2 candy bars at Shoreline Amphitheater. Oh, yeah, with like like the, the tray of things. Oh, yeah, no, the 60-pound tray and, you know, high heels on the lawn. And I, I was kept, it was a, I think it was a fish show. 
And I kept just, you know, helping these poor kids and bringing them to Rock Med was there. And Rock Med was like, we will give you a couple hundred dollars if you stop selling candy right now and just work with us. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So I think that that was the first time that I, you know, officially, officially did it, though. I would say five or six years ago at Utopia was when I started constantly, and it was just me and Erica. You interviewed Erica Siegel, right? She's a good friend of mine. Yeah, yeah, I know Erica. We were attached to RGX, which is one of the best damn festival medical teams in the world. And Yeah, I've had Wolverine on. Yeah, uh, I, I listened to that one too. You know, Richard's a good friend of mine too. And at that time, me and Erica were like, this needs to be a thing. There needs to be a psychedelic support space at events. It doesn't need to be like, you know, you don't ask at a festival, do you have medical? You say, where's the freaking medical tent, right? And I feel like it shouldn't be like, do you have a psychedelic support space? It should be, where's the freaking psychedelic support space? And so we were like, we need to do this. And at the time, it was just the two of us. And we were working back to back like Civil War nurses, like... I'm tapping out, I have to sleep, you know, and then come and wake me up if it gets crazy. And they're like, oh God, we've got 12, in, 12 of them in here. We got a live one. Please, please come wake up and do this again. And so when it used to just be the two of us and now it's gotten built out into, you know, a larger establishment. But like, the thing is, is that, are you familiar with the Rave Act? Yeah, I think Biden was a... Oh, yeah, no, our good friends, Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton, basically reducing Americans' vulnerability to ecstasy act, which I like to call the increasing Americans' vulnerability to bath salts act, essentially. It's an extension of the crack house law, essentially. And so, you know, if you're providing a space for this, then you could be liable for like $250,000. It's enough to ruin a production company. And so it enforces this kind of hypocrisy where they have to say this is a drug-free event and they have to do the security theater thing where they lightly go... They don't want to find people's personal use stashes. Their fucking festival would fail, right? I mean, look at your flyer. You've got DJ DMT playing, you know. It's a psychedelic playground. Nobody doesn't know what's going on here, right? But we have to pretend that we are shocked, shocked that drugs are being taken at our festival, right? And so you can't have a psychedelic support space and you can't have drug testing. And I think that actually we beat that one in California for harm reduction the last couple of years. I think maybe dance. There was some lawyer who was prepared to take it pro bono and was like, please arrest us for harm reduction in California. Mm -hmm. Mm. And somebody finally did. And they just declined to do it? Oh, someone did. No, I think somebody finally did, and they won the precedent. And so at least in California, it's okay to have... There's still festivals that are kind of afraid to do it. Like Lightning in a Bottle last year, there wasn't an official psychedelic testing. But if you go to the Dance Safe booth that was just giving out information, and you say, are you testing things? They're like, oh, no, we can't do that here. And then they were like, you know, come with us. And then you had to like follow these guys out to this hacker space in the parking lot where they had a little pop-up set up where they had a freaking mass spectrometer <laughs> and a little testing kit, but they, they weren't officially allowed to be doing it. So, but it's coming. I mean, 
it's obviously necessary. What what kind of festival do you want your you know granddaughter or your niece or whatever going to? Where the young entrepreneur in the parking lot said this was pure MDMA, right? And or you found this baggie on the ground. Like how many? It's like, or is giving out condoms making people more likely to have sex? No, it's making them not having it is more likely to have them having sex unsafely or using a Ziploc bag or some shit, you know? I've never seen... Ziploc bag method does not work. Does It doesn't work, no, but like, no, it and work. it feels weird. But like, I mean, how many people decide to take this drug that they were not going to take because it turns out to be something that was exactly what they were hoping for? Like a lot more people, well, there looks like some kind of... Methy Molly, or more people are are gonna not take the thing if it's tested than are gonna suddenly decide to take the thing, and I think that that's proven out. I'm curious. I have not actually had drugs tested at a festival since Shambhala in 2014, mm. and at the time, I recall that the Regency Regency or Regents Regents yeah Reagents yeah Regency yeah. is a whole different concept. The Reagents tests particularly for MDMA, was not particularly effective at at testing if other things were present? There's four different tests that they do on things now. So it used to be that you handed them a pill and they scraped a little bit off and they handed it back. And that was obviously a problem because you're handing sketchy drugs back to a 16-year-old. So now you just scrape a little bit into four little things, right? And they test it. Uh, in several different ways. They can't tell you what the dosage is. So they can't say, you know, this is a... Because obviously you didn't melt down the whole thing. Um, But they can tell you if there's the presence of... So they say, well, this looks like it does contain some MDMA-like substance. And it also looks like it contains some sort of, you know, 2CX. We can't say exactly what it is, but, you know, something in the phenylthiamine family or whatever. So you, you can get you can get a, a better idea. They always say, look, we can't tell you exactly what this is. It does appear to contain some MDMA-like substance. It also appears to contain some speedy-like substance. So it's, I mean, it's definitely better than nothing. <laughs> Do you feel that the recent understanding that has gained more and more, let me start again. Sometimes, you know, you got a question and it's not fully ready to come out and then you talk your way through it. And then whenever I'm listening back to the edit, I'm like, Eamon, come on, you're a professional. You can do this. And then I just (laughs) clip the first part where I fucked it up. You can Um, just cut it or not, yeah. I know, I know, right? Cut it or not. Do you feel like the recent public opinion shifting around psychedelic medicine as being efficacious for depression and for end-of-life anxiety and these sorts of things, do you see that as changing in the near term the way that substances are experienced recreationally? For example, the types of harm reduction that's available and the more sort of cultural literacy that folks in the festival world have around psychedelic and entheogenic substances? I mean, I think so in the sense that a lot of people who are getting into doing, especially Zendo Project type work, a lot of them are psychedelic therapists. So they have 
a lot of that background and they have training in working with that. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people who take these substances, you know, particularly MDMA, uh, because that's one that's gotten a lot of good press about that for that purpose. Although, frankly, I think maybe not so much at festivals, because a lot of times, really, they're just taking it to party. They're taking it to have a good time, maybe for social bonding. Maybe they're taking it with someone that they're, you know, there that they have a love relationship with and that they want to have it be, you know, a bonding experience for them. Um, a, a lot of times we don't see people there unless they're in crisis, which is something that I would like to change, actually, because I feel like, for one thing, it gets pathologized. And so, oh, oh, shit, I'm in the, you know, psychedelic emergency tent. I must be having a bad trip, right? The worst thing that could happen sometimes with people is they've taken drugs, and one of them, you know, goes a little sideways, and then their friends are like, are you having a bad trip? I think he's having a bad trip. Man, dude, just tell us where you're at. Like, you know, are you having a pro- I think he's having a problem, right? Now we're in the emergency tent so you're definitely having a problem and like that can kind of and now there's people with radios around and it, it, it can kind of lead it's a weird setting problem you know and it messes up mm. your set and so I would like to see it become more of a look if you're having a big one there's a place for that your friends want to go see base nectar at the trash fence and you're like I think I'm having the real thing right now I'm going to go lay down where there's a place for this and there's people who are going to watch over my body because women, especially for, you know, sad but true reasons, have been socialized not to abandon your body in public. So basically what you're doing is just trying to hold on and not let the thing happen, right? And it's like the thing wants to happen. You know, you're, something is deeply trying to integrate right now. Or you, and so if you know that there's a place where you can go and lay down and we're going to watch your body and we're going to celebrate with you, you know? And you're like, I'm figuring mm. it out. This is it. I'm, it's, I see it. I see it. It's everything. It's wonderful. And we can say, yeah, testify, right? And like, you mm. can mm. do that thing here. And, and also integration circles, which I think is really important. You know, um, Ashley Booth, who does the Aware Project, she's amazing too. And she's wanted to do, she's a great person to have on if you haven't had her on. She... She wants to do, like, let's say you just know at 11.11 in the morning, outside of the psychedelic integration space, there's going to be a peer-led integration circle. So you can come and get together and say, man, I was abducted by aliens last night. Or, like, I had this telepathic experience with, like, five people or whatever. And there's people can say, whoa, that's happened to me, too. Or let's talk about that. And so it doesn't actually have to be you know, about something bad. It's just something that we need to talk through because again, it's easy to suppress this stuff right away. I often talk about, you know, post, post ecstatic, uh, bliss disorder or whatever, but what is post well, you know, traumatic stress disorder? It's like post ecstatic bliss disorder where it's, or, you know, I don't know if it's a disorder, but it's, it's like when you have something really big happen to you, you know, usually it's something bad. You were molested or you got in your brain does, I don't know what to do with information like that. And so it suppresses it immediately, right? I've seen people have like 5-MeO-DMT trips 
where it happened, where it happened, where they hit the center of the target and in 20 minutes they don't remember it because their mind was like, nope, don't know what to do with information like that and suppresses it right away. And so you might have this incredible experience where, you know, you were getting all of these downloads and you were figuring it all out. And then the next morning, again, you know, your friends want to go see that band and like you didn't talk about it with anybody and you you forget about it. Not only do you forget about it, you suppress it. And so now it keeps trying to come back up. Oh, yeah, yeah. If it's unprocessed, even if it's unprocessed bliss, like it keeps wanting to jack in the box. It wants to be processed. And if you didn't process it, it's just going to keep waiting in line to get processed. And either you're going to have that trip again because it's still just trying to get processed. And so I, I well, think that that... That therapy background is going to help with that to some degree. Like I encourage people to come back in the morning if they want and talk about it. It's like, hey, if you want to come back here in the morning and just like try to pad a narrative together around what happened last night, I don't care if I'm not on shift, man. Wake me up. I'm I'm really delighted with this psychedelic emergence rather than mm-hmm. psychedelic emergency um, reframing. It seems to be really core to how you are looking at things. So I just want to talk a little bit more about that. And a question that comes up to, for me a lot in terms of psychedelic conversations generally is how do you trust the truth of your experience? Because if mm-hmm. it's fractals all the way up and down and in every direction and you don't necessarily have um, the experience to integrate it and understand how it is, how, what it means for you and your life – it seems like that's the kind of thing that can then spin out into like the Manson cult or spin mm. out into some of this like really self-important spiritual woo-woo garbage where like, well, I did ayahuasca and I was given the download that I am actually now the queen mother and I am going <laughs> to, and, and I need to be worshipped accordingly. So like how do we protect against psychedelic emergence being co-opted by our own egoic limitations that then that then frame it into a, a personal narrative that may actually be antithetical to what it was, actually maybe what it was for you, and it may ultimately be harmful. Well, it really can be. And I mean, the one that I love is, you know, because I've, I've worked a lot with 5MEO people and like, they have had an ego death experience, right? And now they are presiding over the wake in an apparent fit of acute egomania. The undead zombie ego. Right, they're so ego. close to each other. <laughs> no, the undead zombie ego is you know, <laughs> coming into... I, I actually think it's a circle. You know, you kind of see a line graph with like God is self on one side and self is God on the other side or whatever. And it's actually a circle. If you bend the ends around, they're almost touching. And I've seen people toggle back and forth between the oceanic experience and like, it's all me, right? I'm all it and it's all mm. me are, are mm. actually very, very close. And I think that, do you know how there's antibiotic resistant strains of bacteria? Yeah. Um, because yeah. you almost killed it. And then the one that yeah, survives. The superbugs. The ones that survive breed. I feel like there's psychedelically resistant strains of ego where, like, you know, mm. you've almost killed it a bunch of times. And then the one that pops to the surface can fucking take it. Right. And so, like, you actually have a huge rash of you know, egomania in like the ego death community, which is kind of hilarious, but it's also kind of dangerous. And then when you get like, super dangerous, it's super dangerous. And, and also like annoying. I can kind of see why like (laughs) 
in some of the contemplative traditions, the bit is to just shave your head, give up your name, dress like, you know, everybody else does to kind of try to, because as you approach these sort of like, I am everything experiences, there's this danger of egomania. And so over generations, they've sort of built up this tradition of like, let's reduce the ego before this happens. I'm nobody or whatever, Mm. because it seems like Mm. it's potentially a safer way to handle. There's something to be said for the slow and difficult path. The quick and easy path is great, but the slow and difficult path is by the time you get there, you're maybe potentially more prepared for it. And that, I mean, look here, it's the end times. Ain't nobody got time for that. I appreciate that. But like you said, when you get to a really weird one, so like, okay, the Zeta reticulans are telling me that I got to go and, you know, kill my family or whatever the thing is or quit my job. Not everything, not every revelation is, you know, true, I think, in quotes. Frankly, I don't trust all quote unquote entities like let us let us just imagine that they're autonomous elements of our own psyche. But like, what if they were actually entities? Like, do they have our best interest in heart? Are they fucking with us? Like a lot of times when you hear about them, you get really trickster spirits that aren't necessarily, you know, on our side in the naive sense, at least maybe they're, Maybe it's that kind of, okay, go see where it gets you to believe this and ultimately we're on your side, but like it's not immediately on your side. And I actually had an ayahuasca experience that I've still been trying to write about it, so I haven't written anything in a few years, where, you know, mama comes on like a sentient browser program and I'm scanning you for patches, cookies, updates, viruses. And we found some malware that... Like a dragon mama, like professional contempt. Don't you realize you're using an insentient browser that doesn't give a shit about you? And it's like, you know, DMT is like bad porn pop-up Windows 99. Look at me, look at me, click on this, click on this. Which one, which one? Click on me, click on me. And why you want me clicking on you, bitch, right? And like, it wants you to click on it. it. Oh, it just, imagine that you sent out like Van Neumann probes into the psychic newosphere and anybody who finds one, it just occurs as nothing specific, just everything you've ever wanted, the thing itself, right? And of course, if you fucking click on it, it starts downloading right away. And like, it might be an upgrade, feeling lucky, bitch. Like, it might be an, the malware. Most of the time, I think, What it was telling me is that it isn't. It's just that it wants to put a cookie on your system because you're you're a processor and it's just like mining its fucking crypto on you or whatever. Like it's got a little thing running in the background like SETI at home. And like I don't trust these guys, right? And also it's just your own storytelling. So like if you're religious, Mm. maybe you're going to see it as Jesus or, you know, if you're... If you already have a belief in the Illuminati or whatever, you know, you're likely to storytell around that. So you get a felt revelation, but it doesn't necessarily have a bunch of story attached to it. And so the first story that comes to your mind, oh, it's that, right? This is paranoia. You have contentless anxiety in your body. And then like, what am I nervous about? It must be those guys over there. They're, they're looking at me funny. They want to get me. Or, <laughs> you know, and so you're feeling this really powerful access and you're like what could it be oh it could be aliens they want me to you know be the new messiah or whatever and so you have to not necessarily trust your storytelling 
And you don't want to tell people they're wrong, but you also don't want to tell people they're right. You just want to go, well, okay, that's an interpretation. We're, we're really at the <laughs> crux of the matter here, which is how does one protect themselves? Because you're in such a susceptible, suggestible state in the psychedelic experience. And whether it be a, a, a wayward shaman or whether it's your own personal mythology that you're desperate to believe in, how do you protect yourself from that malware? Even if it's just a cookie, even if it's just harmless, we are meaning-making monkeys and we are always grabbing onto things and we could spend years flinging ourselves around the world on some you know, privileged healing journey based on some sort of personal narrative that, that was revealed to us in a ceremony. That seems so possible and indeed incredibly likely for many people. Mm-hmm. Oh, it happens. How do, how do you personally protect yourself from that sort of thing? I mean, like I said, going back to humor and humility... You know, if everybody who thought that they were the one on psychedelics was, you know, there'd be an awful lot of the ones running around, which maybe they are, you know, maybe there's a sort of collective messiah that that we're all a part of. But like, you know, anytime you think that you're God, you got to realize that, well, okay, so is everybody else. We're probably like some kind of hydra creature with a bunch of heads and then a tail brain down there. And, you know, the heads are all talking to each other. Oh, hi, I'm God. Oh, hi, I'm too. But, like, sure you are, but you're just one of the heads of the thing. And you're not, it's not you personally. Your little personal ego is. Um, Community, I think, is important. You know, if you can't tell your story to other people and, like, have them potentially say, wow, that sounds like bullshit to me, you know, like... The internet, I mean, if you just look up, there's a bunch of other people who have had these trips, which can hurt, too, because you're like, I'm not the only one that's talking to the lizard people. The lizard people must be real, (laughs) you know? But taking everything with a pillar of salt to some degree. And And I also think that maybe there's just a kind of protection that I'm not necessarily the best at doing it. Like, when I started doing psychedelic you know, I always say benefit enhancement rather than harm reduction because I'm not oriented around harm. You know, mm. people people always want to say, my mission is to reduce suffering. No, my mission is to increase awesome. And sometimes I'm not oriented around suffering. Sometimes reducing suffering is just a part of that mission. But like, essentially, I'm not here to reduce suffering. I'm not here for harm reduction. I'm here for benefit enhancement. But like, you know... I, I I used to, when I started, I used to take just a little bit of acid or ecstasy when I was doing, not for Zendo, but, you know, like, so that I could see where they went. So, because I'm more empathic and I can feel the tunnel that they went into and I can, you know, potentially come in after them. Oh, no, 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 no. That is not my plan anymore. I have developed a shield around myself that... One time I actually got to do this thing where I got I dressed in like a suit of armor, like a full body chainmail suit of armor that is like a personal Faraday cage. And I got shocked with a Tesla coil, a full size Tesla coil, purple lightning all over my body would have definitely wait, killed wait, me. In a trip or in real life? No, no, in real life. If you look up T-Fairy lightning on my YouTube or whatever, you'll find it, right? And like, it, it's just... <sighs> It, it's just like a regular Tesla coil, but the thing is, is that it goes over the suit of armor like a Faraday cage, and it doesn't get you. Actually, I was wearing socks in it, and I stepped in a puddle of water right before they pushed the button, and I thought, oh, God, this is it. And I'm very proud that I just stuck my fist up in the air instead of panicking if I'm going out, I'm going out in a blaze of glory. But no, that that's not what happened. Um, And so I've developed a sort of shield around myself that, 
My, it's a one-way permeable membrane. My compassion flows out, and that shit does not flow into me. If you can see that kid's screensaver, you are too freaking close, right? You Oh, you do have a problem, my friend, right? Have you ever, like, touched somebody who's tripping and you can see what they see and you're like, hmm, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I have seen shit jump around. Like, I've seen one kid just, like, doing these weird mudras and mo- movements and then, like, they stop. Oh, and the person across the room starts doing it. I'm not, you know, qualified to say what kind of, you know, I don't believe in a lot of shit I've seen. But, like, I don't have, I'm great, I'm happy with that shield. But, like, I don't have 100% confidence that I can protect myself from the kind of squirrely shit that jumps around. Like, I, since that ayahuasca trip, I haven't, I've done 5-MEO full out, but I have not done in and DMT full out. I've done little pop-ups where I'm like that kid who's, you know, when you're just learning to swim and you're in the deep end and you hold on to the edge of the pool and you stick your head under and look around, but you don't let go of the edge of the pool? That's me. <laughs> because I, I'm not completely confident in my ability to not have stuff permeate my membrane and now I've got, you know, some kind of little cookie in me that I'm gonna have to go back to the Amazon and get defragged which was a whole drama I mean seriously I had this exorcism experience my head would have spun around if it wasn't so on I'm floating up in the corner of the room like you ever seen Nausicaa like being cradled in this like la 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 I can see my body down there I don't want to do that again I do not want to do that again right you're you're referring to an ayahuasca experience you had in the Amazon in which you were cleansed of something that had attached oh, itself when to I, you? Oh, yeah, that, it was, it was a defrag of a bunch of these. I had one really bad one that was lack to kill me, but like it turned out that I had a bunch of little things on my system that I had just picked up from random indiscriminate psychedelic use, and I could see where they came in. You know, there was one that makes this weird kind of black speech. Oh, I remember that trip. That's where that thing, and it's still in there. You know, and it's using up my idle cycles. Do you ever, like, have one of those trips where you feel defragged in the sense that you have a lot more of your processor back, right? Like when you mm. defrag your computer yeah. and, and it's been, you, you know, because there's all these processes running in the background. And so that's what this thing was doing is it was, it was, you know, turning off all these processes that had been running in the background that I had picked up from just indiscriminate psychedelic use. And look, I'm me, like, I write for Arrowhead. I'll send you the link for it, but I, I write a column for Arrowhead which is basically targeted towards recreational psychedelic users. And I've been nervous about, I promised the nice lady who probably saved my life that the next thing that I published on there would be about her wonderful retreat center and Jaguar sanctuary. And I've been really reticent. It's been five years. I have a wonderful platform. I have the platform that I would have picked if I could pick any platform in the world. You know, it has millions of hits on it because it's, the only column for on Arrowhead, they get 100,000 unique visitors a day. This is the time to be writing about this. And I don't want to tell people, because partly, if you say it, it becomes more true. Right? And so I'm you, afraid to You don't want to tell, to people, tell what? people To avoid the recreational... The, You're afraid yeah, to tell the, people what? Yeah, I don't want to tell people that, you know, and entities are freaking... A lot of them are trying to put cookies on your system. And Wait, I mean, you can, are telling people that right now. I, mean, I am telling people <laughs> that right moment, now because I'm getting over myself. 
I am getting over myself. Okay. I've told a few different people on podcasts. But like I said, I get a lot of hits on my they they help that I asked Earth, do you think I have a million hits put together? And he's like, They all have a million hits and I'm like, They don't pay me, I don't know. And it's like, Yeah, we get a hundred thousand unique visitors a day. It's the only column on Airwood. And I'm like, Oh, I should not be talking out of my asshole then and also you know, do I want to make this more true? Or scare people. You know that thing about if I could just help one person, it'll be worthwhile. If I'm going to give one person horrifying trips, it hurts me, right? And people are going to think about that DMT trip they had where they clicked on that thing and it started installing something and oh God, right? Well, okay, if I don't tell people I'm in this, I asked Ayahuasca, what do you want me to tell people? This is what it said. I said, don't hurt me, I'm an ambassador, Right? This is what it told me to tell people. But ayahuasca is also a jealous bitch that doesn't want you taking other drugs. So, like, you know what I mean? And she also wants to put a cookie on your system, frankly. And, and she, you know, wants to cut a deal with you. Where, look, you're a shaman of a village, and it says, I'm going to use up this much of your processor, and you're going to have Alex Gray vision, and you're going to be able to see the problems in people, and you're going to be able to heal them and you're going to know where the game is and whatever. That's a good deal. That's a good deal to make, right? And it occurs as grandmother and it's just open arms and love. Do you know those things where like like a flower looks like a bee butt so that bees will come and fly up to it, right? Of course it looks like grandmother. That's not how it occurs to people who want to throw little darts at their enemies. Okay? It occurs differently to people who want to throw little darts at, at their enemies. All right, ayahuasca is like a gray Jedi. It doesn't have, it's not necessarily, their idea of alignment and ours are a little bit different, right? And so, sure, it occurs as the thing that makes you open yourself to it. Oh, grandmother, like, you know, it occurs to people who want to do sketchy things with it totally differently. So I don't necessarily trust the way that it occurs. And a lot of shamans... You know, or curanderos do it both ways. They're like, yes, I will help cure your liver cancer and I will help track your ex-girlfriend. And like, you know, they, it's not like one or the other. Okay, so I'm very much stuck on how we know what is true. I recently did a mm. podcast with a member of the Swedish Skeptic Society and I did it because this documentary Plandemic came out and seemed to co-opt a lot of the spiritual community with a lot of conspiracy theories. And I'm so concerned that the value that we can really get from these psychedelic medicines can be co-opted in so many ways. And not, I mean, the, the obvious ways that, that, that bad actors can use the suge suggestibility of psychedelics on this plane that we're on, but then also all the different layers of, of different belief systems and, and kind of woo-woo stuff. Like, how do we know what is true? Like, how do mm. you know that, that that ayahuasca ceremony that cleansed these entities you experienced coming onto you from other psychedelics, how do you know that that ayahuasca ceremony was right? and that that was a true cleansing versus knowing that these things were on you. And how do you know that say, you know, I'm working on childhood trauma right now and right. it's in my body. I'm doing somatic experiencing. I'm working. Right. How do I know that that's not actually not childhood trauma? It's some entity and I'm I'm remembering something like 
how do we understand the stories that are in the maelstrom of the psychedelic world um, such that we're actually healing, we're actually growing, we're actually of service to each other, we're not caught up in our own bullshit, and we're not actually just harming ourselves with strange beliefs? I mean, sometimes it's two ways to say the same thing. Is this a entity that's in your body or is this childhood trauma might be two ways to look at it. You know, because some ch- mm. children, you know, maybe that's the time that this thing entered your system it was through the, through the, you know, pathway of that trauma. And it mm. could be that it's something that's in, got into your system later and you're just associating it with that trauma. Cause some kids like, you know, fall out of a tree and break their arm and the parents get divorced and they're fucking fine. You know, some people get picked on one time in sixth grade and they're still hurting. Right. Not to say it's a matter of their weakness, but it's like, what what is it that came into you at that time and where is it stored in your body? Some people, I'm a great crier, man. I love to cry. I shake that shit out. At the end of a Zendo session or whatever, I go and like usually purge, not like, you know, making myself purge, but I just do. And then I go dance the dawn set and I shake that shit out, right? Some people don't do it. They hold on, they tighten up, and that shit never leaves their body, right? So it may be partially that. I think to some degree the proof is in the pudding. So like I got out of that ayahuasca session and like, all right, is is it possible that the story that I'm telling, if I'm telling a story in words, it is not the truth, capital T truth. The truth, mm. capital T truth is not a thing that can be said in words, I think. So like anytime you're telling a story, you have to put it in quotes to some degree, right? I'm not lying, but it's not the same thing as, you know, that I've got the I've got the exact, you know, right words for what has happened to me. Do I feel defragged? Is that obvious to me? You know, am I clearer feeling after this? Am I do my relationships improve? Do you stop beating your kids? Did you stop drinking? I had an aboga experience, which was incredible. I have all kinds of stories about that thing, but like the fact is is that I stopped doing some of the things. I closed my, all my stuff, you know, it showed me like, here's your backpack in elementary school. Here's your closet. You know, here's your locker in high school. Here's the trunk of your car. What's up with all the shit that's just piled everywhere? And now like I instinctively put that stuff away. So that helped. Right. Mm. And so it's like, you know, are you, do you feel like you have more, of yourself to work with? Are you kinder? Are you more aware? Are you nicer to people? Do you feel better? Maybe the better thing is not even to tell stories around it. You know, maybe the better thing is just to say, I feel better. Like the aliens came and healed me. Maybe. Or like what, you know, you can say, well, okay, so what I experienced was these three little DMT numbs came and they put a drill into my forehead and they put a little crystal in. That's what I was visualizing while whatever this change was hap- was happening. Is that what happened? Is it true? Why did th- these little guys don't need what little hats to keep their head warm and little clothes and little drills? Not what they look like for themselves, if that kind of a distinction applies. That's what you... That's what your mind drew in for whatever happened. All right. The question is, do you feel better? You know, are you more effective? I, I tend to like prefer to tell as few 
specific stories as possible because the more specific you get, the wronger you are. You you know, I love stories. Like I grew up on the Odyssey and I and I oh, always yeah. wanted to be I always wanted to be many-minded Odysseus. I wanted to get lost in the land of the Lotus Eaters. I wanted to slay the Cyclops. And I didn't want that so that I could get back to Ithaca. I wanted it so that I could have the glory of the story. And I think that... I just tie that shit to the mast, though. Don't get lost on the island. You know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. Tie your shit to the mast. I think that... I love that you... I love that you did that just now with that that Odyssey reference. Tie your shit to the mast. And that's what I think the psychedelic community must do. And we must do it for each other. We must tie each other to the mast. You know, talking about this documentary, Plandemic, which I don't want to talk about the specifics of it, but this suddenly seeing all the plant medicine people talking about these conspiracy theories and Bill Gates is putting microchips in people and all this kind of like just just heavy drama and shit. It's like we need to be accountable to tie each other to the mast and say, whoa, hey, pretty story. What does the world need from us? What do we need to be doing? We're in a pandemic. We're in a time of enormous upheaval around racial justice. The world needs things from us. We, we can't be caught in our own stories right now, albeit you know playful and fun and adventurous. Well, we need to be caught in the larger story and the bigger super story and not in our you know little personal stories. Although, again, if your bigger idea of the bigger super story is some kind of very complex conspiracy, like I feel like there's some basic razors that can be applied, you know, whether it's Occam's razor, there's other ones where it's like never. I like Hanlon's the best. What is it again? I, I, I like Hanlon's razor, but you, you say what Occam's is. But tell me what's razor. Hanlon's is, um, don't attribute to malice what can be described by incompetence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Never, never attribute to, you know, vast complex conspiracies or even what just like stupidity and greed you know, and short-sightedness can can explain. You know, there's the Discordian thing about if five people know about it, it gets out. So if you have a, you know, if you have a conspiracy that requires thousands of people, like, I mean, just as a ridiculous one, the flat earth thing. Okay, so let's say I could get a boat or a small plane, right? Let's see if we could get, like, every single person with a small plane and a boat to get in on this conspiracy. Elon Musk, take a picture from the sky. Like, everybody's in on it, man. They paid everybody off. Do you know how much National Geographic, for instance, would have launched an expedition to the edge? Like, that would be the expedition, right? That would be the main big expedition to launch is the expedition to the edge, like that nobody's done it because that is just, even if you don't believe in the science, if you can't buy the, like, look, stick a popsicle stick in the ground over here and stick a popsicle stick in the ground, look down the well, you know, there's so many physics reasons why not, but the social reason of, like, somebody would have gone and got a picture of it, believe me, a picture of it would have been really valuable, like, I could do that. It doesn't make any sense. You know, if, if thousands of people have to keep something secret, believe me, that's not what's happening, right? Like, if it's really complex, if it hurts the rich, right? So, like, yeah, they want to put stuff in the sky so that nobody could breed. That also includes them. They don't want to live in a bunker, you know, for the rest of generations because there's shit in the sky that, like, the rich, they, there's conspiracies. I'm with Terrence on this one. Terrence McKenna said there's conspiracies aplenty, you know, the rich, the Catholic Church, the Boy Scouts. The, but they're endlessly frustrated by chaos, right? 
you don't understand Monica. Mm. Like, how could some dynastic family whole thing planned for generations be ruined by a blowjob? Because Hail Eris, because chaos, because you cannot control this big and chaotic a system, right? I did a speech like a week before 2012 at like, remember when the 2012 thing was going to, it was, you know, summer solstice or winter solstice, whatever. And it was like a true believers convention in Boston. It was the Evolver people. And I'm like, you guys don't believe this. I pissed him off for 15 minutes. I still got a standing ovation basically because they took their drugs at the beginning of the hour long speech and they came on by the end. And I'm like, look, can anybody want to come up here and bet me double or nothing on camera that anything straight people are going to acknowledge is about to happen right now? Because like, if you believe that you'd be out there running up the credit cards and burying canned goods and good on the people who are, because at least they're titillating themselves with conviction, you know, but if you, if you, Imagine your worst nightmare, right? There, this, the lizard people are meeting in their secret chalet lair in darkest Switzerland, and Dick Cheney's there, and the Rothschilds are there. They are shitting their pants, these people. They didn't want us to get the internet. They sold us this shit. They thought it was going to be like a combination TV and video game console, but it's not in 2012. And there's just too many chaotic factors to control. Even the best supercomputer that doesn't exist, you know, like strong AI, figuring out what's going to happen. If you, let's say we release this pandemic and like, that's going to, it's going to have, look, if you release cane toads to try to eat the bugs in your thing, you're going to get, you know, results that you didn't count on. And now you got to swallow the spider to catch the fly. And like anything that tries to handle a big chaotic system is bound to come back and bite you on the ass. It always does. I love how you talk. I love how you talk. I love Too the fast. references you pull in. Well, you, you speak fast. It's true. You speak fast. And, and there's a tone to that, you know, the, the energy of it. There's a, a little mania in you that is delightful. But okay. I love that you just pull in, swallow the spider to catch. It's just, it's great. And I want to pull us a little bit back into psychedelic healing. And we're kind of, you know, getting into debunking conspiracy theories is definitely close to my heart right now. And I'm glad that we did it. And I'm glad that people who um, are listening to this and taking psychedelic drugs are, are, have the invitation to check themselves. Let's look on the increased benefit side of things and say psychedelic medicine is poised to blossom into the mainstream. It seems like the yep. MDMA trials that MAPS are doing are going to get through phase three Soon enough, there's so oh, God much bless attention them. They around. They jump through every single possible hoop. Every, I mean, like, yeah, honestly, every hoop, every hoop. You know, you ha- let's do a double blind study where we don't know. Who- Everybody knows who got the medicine, but you got to do it, man, to pass the thing. They, Rick Doblin, thank you. I I teased him once when I was on a panel with him, and I'm like, you know, it's too bad we can only try to solve problems. Like, are we going to have to get telepathic intens- insensitivity syndrome put in the manual of diseases so that, you know, isolated ego syndrome so we can try to treat it. But they're, they're doing a wonderful thing. And yes, it's obviously helping veterans and people with it's, autism it's, and depression. It's happening. It's happening. The ketamine's happening. Psilocybin studies. So we are on the cusp of psychedelic medicines becoming part of our mainstream narrative and our mainstream understanding. And I'm curious how we should do that. I mean... Big Pharma is going to get in the game. There's going to, there's certain mechanisms that are rolling and in play. How how do we 
how do we maximize the benefit for people and allow the psychedelic renaissance to be not just medicine for individual pathologies or mental health issues or whatever it is, but actually medicine for for a culture that is riddled with pathology? What, well, you what interviewed are you- my good friend Liana Sananda, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and definitely on board with North Star for sure. With what North Star or in Project, and they're they're doing a thing where they're you know getting people to sign a pledge of ethical. I don't know if you saw there. We'll call it Pala if you look it up. Just we'll call it P A L A. There's a wonderful article about what happens when you know money gets into it and people start out with the best possible intentions, and then it ends up being you know you try to supersize it and it gets bought out, and there's. There's going to be a lot of that. And also, like, it only takes a few bad press things. You know what I mean? So far, it's just been, I'm holding this prayer, almost all good reports, right? But as soon as it gets, there was one person who had some kind of iffy molestation issue with one of the trials at some point, right? It takes... It was more like, you know, they ended up having a relationship with their therapist later and that wasn't appropriate, right? But, like, it takes only a few things blowing it right now where it could go terribly wrong. I'm I'm not calling that in. That's not what's going to happen. I definitely think that we need to... Everybody... Look, we need a lot of help. A lot of people need a lot of help right now. But I think that we need to be careful not to grow it too fast, you know, to have people be properly trained where they apprentice with somebody who's already doing the work, who's either MAPS trained or who, you know, has 20 years of experience. And so they're not just like, I got a license to give people ketamine and I've never taken it myself. <laughs> like, I'm going to do it, right? I and mean, most of the people who actually get into this have at least done the medicine to some degree. There was a thing with the MAPS study where they actually made it so that they had permission to do it one time with one of the other people watching it so that when people ask them, have you done this? They can say, yes, of course they've all done it. They basically, why would they be doing this? Right. But, but then they can officially say yes. But I think that there needs to be some kind of like, not only a ethics pledge, but I think that there needs to be some kind of real apprenticeship program where people go through it and they watch a lot of sessions and they learn like I wasn't as good at what I do the first five years I was doing it right like you have to really have that kind of experience where you've seen the range of things that could happen and fortunately I think in a lot of therapeutic sessions even though people are working through trauma the set and setting is so good that for the most part you don't really see the kind of things we see at festivals like mm. The reason that I, I, and there's no bar for working at festivals, more or less, you know, you want help, great, though they try to pair, pair you with somebody who has more experience, right? It's a great way to get experience, but like, you know, people in the MDMA studies or even in the psilocybin studies or whatever, don't tend to see people vortexed, unhinged in time, you know, screaming, oh God, if you had any compassion, you would just knock me unconscious, Right. Whereas, like, you know, demons are eating me and, like, I I see that kind of shit all the time, right? And so maybe there's a certain bar that is a little bit lower for people who are doing... Maybe they need to be actual therapists first. I don't know. I kind of hope not, although I bet that that's how the model starts. 
but they need to have some kind of certification for having the experience. You know, you should have done it a bunch of times, in my opinion, which is maybe, especially if it becomes legal, you know, it should be a doable thing, but you should actually have had to sit through 20 experiences and kind of learn about that, learn about what it is rather than just, hey, I've got a new business plan. I'd love to see it scale up. I just think that it needs to scale up slowly and carefully rather than, you know, suddenly all over the world so that we have some of those bad bad experience reports in the media and also just, you know, bad experiences for people. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Yeah, you, you mentioned at the beginning of your answer that, you know, you didn't know you didn't know very much in the first five years. What is it that you have what are some of the things that you learned over that time period that were really helpful for you that you needed that time to learn? Well, partly it's just that you've seen this before. You know, there's I mean, once in a while you get a new one. <laughs> but a lot of times you really seen this before you understand what the arc of it is you know where people are especially if they're willing to accurately report if they're able to accurately report what they're on sometimes it was that baggie they found but like I can say well all right so you're on hour six so like it's not it's not gonna get more intense than it already is it's gonna start falling off now you know what I mean like you you haven't broken your brain that's that's really the big fear people think oh, I've really done it this time and they're just like I you know now I'm gonna be crazy forever and I'm like look into my eyes I have seen this hundreds of times you can tell that I'm slightly amused by this I am a deeply compassionate person. If I thought you had broken your brain, you're slightly telepathic right now, right? You would be able to tell if I was worried about you. I am not worried about you, right? And that that takes down like 80% of people's anxiety. Like just learning things. I mean, the stuff that Zendo Project teaches because they've learned it over time, like matching people's energy, right? If they're if they just want to sit there silently and have somebody hold their hand, that's what they want. If they're up going, you know, wow, 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 whoa, 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 wow, wow, whoa, wow. Get up and do it with them. Whoa, wow, wow, whoa, 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 wow. Literally, literally. Does that ever escalate it, though? When I, Whenever I was doing Zendo, it, what I understood is that you model back to them, you, but you kind of lean towards modeling calm. Now, you've been doing this way longer than me, way more than me, so you probably are more skilled at meeting them, but wouldn't there be a risk that if they're there to try to come into a place where they can have their emergence without you know, making a mess around everywhere else, isn't there a little concern that by meeting them with that level of energy that that energy might escalate? I mean, you don't want to go higher than they are. You want to slowly, you know what I mean? You don't want to you don't want to get louder than they are. But if you're like I'm with you, I'm with you and then yeah, again you slowly like, let's lay down and do it. Wow, wow, it's great you're down uh, here on yeah. the ground, right? And like let me think. Oh, there's stuff that's just brain hacks. They're just tricks like part of it has come out of the studies where they put helmets on people and they monitor their brain activity, right? What's going on in a lot of bad trips 
is that the hemispheres of your brain have come decohered. And so one of them's doing one thing and one of them's doing another thing. If you if you can stand up and spin poi, for instance, you don't necessarily want to do this in, in the zendo, but because you're you know one half of your brain is running one side of your body and the other half of your brain is running the other side of your body, if you can just get them to coordinate, and it it's kind of amazing. It's a miracle. Oh, the hemispheres of my brain are synced back up. If you just put a fidget spinner in their hand and spin it. One half of their brain is doing proprioception and balance, and the other half is thinking about it, and they're watching an object that's going the same speed. And it's like a miracle. Their, their hemispheres of their brain start talking to each other again. Even just patty cake, right? Can we do patty cake together? You remember yeah, this thing from like, sixth grade, right? And That's now they, like EMDR, right? You know what? I, you know I, EMDR? I've often thought the poi thing is kind of like EMDR, though that's not the way that I'm sort of using it. But like, you know, if, if people can remember how to do that little patty cake thing from sixth grade, right? It's funny. It brings them back to their childhood. And also it's making the hemispheres of their brain coordinate or talking about something mm. wonderful. Like, so, tell me, do you have any pets? Right? They love that. Mm. Oh, yeah. I, I have a dog. What's your dog's name? Oh, my dog's name is Millie. Oh, tell me about Millie. And it's like, oh, yeah, something that makes them feel warm. If you say your mother or something, it could be, it could be you know, a little bit sketchy. But if it's something sweet like a pet, something that you love and it brings it back to that, love and compassion is almost always the thing. It's like, can you feel, just try to feel the sweetest love that you have right now. Like, breathe really slow. The thing is, is that, like, the whatever it is, I always forget which one's the parasympathetic Sympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous Par- parasympathetic is the calm down. Yeah, okay. So if, I'm just like, ramp, okay, ramp I know this sounds cheesy AF, but if you just actually listen, as soon as you can listen to my words and actually do what I'm saying, it might take a few rounds, but as soon as you can do it, you will feel better, which is just slow, easy breathing because it turns on that other nervous system. And that it, I know it sounds like, oh, yeah, breathe. No, really, though, try it. If it doesn't work, stop. But try that thing. And, like, that thing's a miracle, right? Like, it, knowing that it's you. So I was like, okay, what do you, if you close your eyes, what do you see? Ah, little falling candies. We're like, okay, see if you can turn it just slightly more blue for a second. See, it's you. Oh, you didn't know you were such an amazing artist, right? You're the best artist that ever lived in like 10 different alien aesthetic styles that you have never studied. But look, it's you. And then it Mm. doesn't feel like it's coming from the outside because you can control it even just a little bit, right? And like, if I can get people to just get down in child's pose to just breathe and to just feel love for anything that they love, like your, your child self, like love yourself when you're four years old. Breathe and love yourself when you're a little baby. You know, and it's just like, that's almost always home base. And if we can get to home base and if we can know that this is going to end. And sometimes I'll say like, is it scary content or is it just too much? Is it just a lot? Sometimes the answer Mm -hmm. is it's scary content, like no blood all over the place. But sometimes it's just, it's too much and it's confusing, you know, and it's like, okay, that's not actually bad. That's just too much and it will go away. Like, it's a ride right now. This is just a ri- You took drugs and they're working. That's what's happening. You're not going crazy. You took drugs and they're working. I'm a birth doula too. I've only been to three births. But like, you know, there's a part where 
Because I was trying to figure out, is there some kind of profession I can do as a trip sitter that you have to be home and sober for three months, so it's not really a thing, or like eight weeks. But like, I've only done it for friends. But they get to a point where they're like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And you're like, oh, you don't have to do it. It's going to do itself. There's going to be something you got to do in like 10 hours, right? And so people are just like, I can't do this. And you're like, you don't got to do it. This is a, this is a ride. It's going to do itself. You just lay down and watch it. It's kind of beautiful. It's super amazing. It's not what you expected it to be. It's huge, right? This is this is you. You didn't know this about yourself, right? I mean, wow. And if if I can express like positivity and excitement for them, like I'm so happy for you right now. And I'll say, look, time's moving forward for me, right? Time's may not be moving forward for you. They'll say, like, how long since the last time I asked you this? Oh, baby, you don't want to know. Like, <laughs> it's been like three minutes. Oh, God, it's been hours for me. Like, I know, I know. But you stick with me. Time is moving forward for me. The sun is going to rise over there. And we are going to be standing in triumph. You're going to a fucking level tonight. And we are already there. All right? We are already standing out there watching the sunrise. And we are celebrating. And we're going to go dance the sunrise set. And you will have freaking leveled, okay? In the meantime, we have an opportunity. And you just tell them, like, you know it's the truth. And, like, because you do. And so many times I have seen total breakdown to total breakthrough. It's the most beautiful thing you ever see. They come in naked, raving, security brought them in. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. And they leave their, like, freaking superheroes. I am a living God conscious of my power. I am going to go tell that girl I love her. I'm going to quit this shitty job. I'm going to go have an amazing festival. And, like, if you get to see that three times in a weekend, like, who gets to see shit that beautiful? It's, mm. That's why they, you know, they don't pay us because they know we do it for free. <laughs> Though I really think they should. If, they could, if a production company would pay as much as they pay for one DJ for like harm reduction for the entire freaking season, we would be dripping with cocoa water and, you know, stuff that we need, barf buckets, pants, like lightning in a bottle, we bring a bag of pants because like what, why do they take off their pants? They don't know where their pants are. We got sweats for you. I got pants, right? <laughs> <laughs> why do they take off their pants? No, I don't know. I got pissed <sighs> on by a time traveler at Utopia. She was, <laughs> she kept, no, she kept saying, uh, she was the wow, wow, wow girl. Actually, she could say wow, 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 and whoa, 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 and literally, 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 right? And then, and then, she, then she'd say, I'm so sorry I pissed all over you. And I'm like, no, no, I'm dry, you're dry. That is not my universe. We did not, there was no pissing. And, and then, wow, wow, whoa, 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 wow. I'm so sorry I pissed all over you. Didn't happen, man. I don't know if that something happened earlier, but we're dry. And then finally she's sitting on my lap and she just lets go. And I was like, she's like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, no, no. That was the future. I couldn't see the future. But like, it's okay. I'm a nanny. I get pissed on all the time. I've got pants. I got pants for both of us. You hang out here. I'll go get us both some pants. That was the future. Now it's the past. And as soon as it happened, she, she remembered who she was, where she was camped. You know, the crisis had passed. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought released it was hilarious. It. She, she released it. Yeah, exactly. That's a great story. Well, being a nanny helps. It's a lot like working with three and four year olds, you know, where it's just, you, get ex- you know, the 
get excited about something. The little spinner toy is cool. You know, we do a lot of drawing. I, not paint. Paint makes a mess, but crayons, you know. And I save a lot of these drawings. If they don't have them, I have, like, a collection of amazing tripper drawings. Well, if, if you are willing to share them, and I'm not sure what the consent thing is for the people who drew them, but that would make a wonderful backdrop for the podcast image, you know, is you in the front with the tripper drawings in the back. <laughs> I'll see if I can find some. They're beautiful. You know, you know you, you're, you're really making me miss festivals and oh, particularly God. that feeling of, um, my partner jokes that I turn everything into a hero's journey especially festivals but that that experience of right i mean what what what's the fun of what's the fun if it's not a hero's journey but but that that experience of you go to celebrate you get stuck on something maybe it's you know you want attention from 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 that handsome guy or like you want yeah. some, it's something you want something and in the festival there's something you're the festival in a sense is like a psychedelic trip itself like you're you're in a relationship to it and you're no, wanting something No it is it's a macrocosm you and if your, you trip inside of it it's a fractal Perfect exactly exactly and 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 whatever your the conundrum is there you if you play it right and maybe it'll get stuck and you have to figure it out later. But if you play it right, there will be that cathartic breakthrough. And I think that's part of what we all love about festivals because through that catharsis, we're connecting more deeply with each other, we're connecting more deeply with ourselves. And often, though not always, that's through psychedelic medicine, through, you know, through the music and the, the, the tumult of it all. Um, but if and it's then the hero's journey, you also saying, have to go through the dark night of the soul. You have to go through the, you know, the death exactly. and the difficulty and... The realizations that come with it. It's not all just like, I'm a hero. Well, and, and I think that psychedelics and festivals and these types of experiences help us better manage those darker nights. You know, the coronavirus experience is very much like a psychedelic experience, too, in the sense that it's like this really like slow down, time stretching for those of us who are not on the front lines, of course. A difficult psychedelic experience is not about the psychedelic. It's about you. It's about the parts of yourself that need to come to the surface to be healed are no longer held so uh, rigidly in place by your different sort of trauma avoidance loops. You know, your default mode de- network is loosened up in its tyrannical control of your psyche. And so these little maybe sub-personalities kind of bubble up to, to say what they've been trying to say. These, these dramas that are, are, are kind of frozen inside your being come up and you get into these strange loops, these strange intensity loops. It feels like that is what is happening in America right now, where the coronavirus is like a psychedelic trip and the explosion of racial in the explosion of the awareness of racial injustice and the enormous fomenting rage and anger and, and resistance, these are things that are part of the trauma of our nation that we hold down through our hyper consumerism and through our just all the mechanisms of keeping things out of the public eye, keeping mass incarceration behind the scenes. Now, during the time of coronavirus, police brutality, racism, these things are coming up. So in that sense, I feel like it's very much like a psychedelic experience, a difficult psychedelic experience. And so what I was thinking about, what I wanted to talk to you about is 
could we look at this from the perspective of psychedelic peer support? Could we trip sit ourselves through the psychedelic emergence of maybe emergency for many, but the emergence of the awareness of this deep trauma in the history of our nation that that is still very much alive today and create a safe space for it to heal. So I wanted to know what you, if, if America came in to your Zendo tent <laughs> or came into your psychedelic safe space, if, if America came in on a crazy loop, how would you offer psychedelic peer support to this angry, grieving nation? <laughs> well, uh, you really do have a problem, my friend. Let's go into the little lotus bell in the back where we can be separate from all of these other nice people who are just trying to have an awesome trip here and we will take, uh, take our ease and have some tea. I, wow. I mean, it's true that sometimes material that's been suppressed in these liminal spaces has the opportunity to come up and ideally where it can decompose in the presence of air and sunlight. Mm. And so you have to allow that process to happen. You don't want to stop it. You don't want to say, okay, no, no, don't think about that necessarily because something is happening here. Something's trying to come to the surface that's maybe been being jack-in-a-boxed a lot of times where you push it back down and then it tries to come up to the surface again and you've pushed it back down. And maybe this is the time that it's going to actually have the opportunity to be processed, in which case, hooray for that. We need that. You know, we're go- we got a year of no festivals and no gatherings and therefore no psychedelic peer support. What are you doing in the meantime? What are what are where are you putting your energy? How are how, and how can people kind of support the work that you're doing? Okay, well, great. Thanks for asking. I'm writing again. I actually, like I said, I promised this nice lady that I wouldn't write anything else until I finish this Amazon essay. So I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to get my book of tea time essays out. You can find my column on airwood.org. Y'all know airwood, E-R-O-W-I-D. If you just look up tea time with an exclamation point, you will find it. And I started a little solo cast on my uh, YouTube channel, which is, if you just look up uh, tea fairy spelled like I spell it, one word, T-E-A-F-A-E-R-I-E, tea time, you'll find my YouTube, but it's R-U-E-S-P-I-E-L-E-R, Ruspieler, which means somebody who tells stories for thrown change in the street in one of my favorite Mm. psychedelic science fiction novels called Child of Fortune. And I've been putting those out, which I think are going pretty well. I actually went and helped a, a girl who was having a complete psychedelic breakdown. She'd been to the hospital before and she was just begging me over the Zoom, please come and help me. And so I got in a car, I got in an Uber, and then, you know, she had been to the hospital the week before for the broken foot. So basically, I bought myself 14 days alone because my husband went and stayed at his girlfriend's house because I had been exposed. I didn't get the cooties, but it was a wonderful thing that happened to me because it got me started on getting my writing done and getting these podcasts out. So 
those are places that you can find me. And I will send you also the written version if you want to put it in the comments. And thank you so much for having me on the show. I really think that nobody would be doing this work or almost nobody if they hadn't been there. You know, Mm. if you've never fallen in at some big crazy festival and, you know, time scale's gone eternal and it's all happening at once. And, you know, it's, you you know, the revelation is coming down and uh, we all have been there who have been working this kind of thing. It's such an honor. It's, it's such a deep and profound honor to sit with people through the long, bright night of the soul. And Mm. I love doing it. I look forward to festival season starting so that I can do it again. It's what I do that makes me feel like a worthwhile human being. That and writing. So I'm going to get some more writing done. I love you future people. I hope it's awesome in the future. Thank you for being so entertaining. This has been a very (laughs) lovely little conversation so well thank you for doing what you do i love life as a festival and i'm excited to hear who else you're gonna have on for psychedelic therapy there's really so much to explore and it's really only getting started just getting started thank you bye thank you for joining us for life as a festival if you like the show you can support it by sharing it with your friends following it on Spotify, or reviewing it on iTunes. If you'd like to get more involved, you can join our Facebook group, Life is a Festival, where we talk about the show and you can suggest new guests. If you really liked the show and maybe want a little bit more, visit my digital tip jar at patreon slash lifeisafestival.com. Whatever you do, I hope today's podcast helped you make your life just a little bit more like a festival. And I'll see you on the dance floor. I've been thinking about what you asked me. What would I tell America if it somehow had the most excellent good fortune of washing up in the emergence tent when the tea fairy was on duty? And of course, I would offer it a nice place to lie down, somewhere private, so it didn't upset all of the other guests with its extremity of process. And I would just listen to it for a while, to its maniacal raving. And then I'd assure it that it's perfectly okay, and indeed understandable, for it to be distressed, you know? It sounds like it's been under a whole lot of pressure lately. What with the coronavirus, which, like you said, is kind of a trip unto itself. The worldwide superorganism is in a non-ordinary state that it did not choose to be in. Just ate that little bat baggie that it found on the ground and and nobody's judging it for doing that, you know? We were all just doing what we've always done. But here we are. And now this racial trauma is surfacing in America in particular. And it sounds like it's bringing up some feelings. I would invite it to consider the possibility that it is in this very moment trying to heal itself. And I would encourage it to try to appreciate the opportunity 
that this situation could potentially present if that is the case. Because it sounds to me like this particular cusp is bringing up a whole lot of stuff that isn't new. It's stuff that America has been really trying to process for a long time. Or at least a part of it has been trying to process it. And then it kind of keeps on getting suppressed by some element of the collective ego, maybe. One that's really afraid to confront it. And maybe here and now is the best possible place to start to get some of that work done so that it can become more well-integrated and whole and healthy and happy. Because it's just going to keep on coming back up until it finally takes the time to process it and how it feels about that. Because you have to do the work first, you know. You have to feel those uncomfortable feelings before you can decide what is to be done and how you want to be different going forward. Because before there can be meaningful forgiveness and reconciliation, there has to be remembering and grieving. And there has to be sincere contrition. These things often do happen within the theater of the individual psyche, to the extent that it is individual. We often have to sincerely apologize to ourselves, to aspects of ourselves that have been in pain, which we've ignored, and aspects of ourselves that we have pushed down and that have not been given their due. And I have seen miracles of healing when suppressed aspects of the psyche have finally just been allowed to be seen and to be heard and to be honored. So I would invite America to really try to stay with the process this time and to have the courage to sit with whatever comes up with as much compassion as possible and with as little judgment as possible and to just allow whatever feelings should arise and to acknowledge them for whatever they are. And maybe America would try to squirm off the dime and just maybe try to take a nap or play with some light toys or something. And I don't ever try to force my own agenda, you know, on sanctuary people. But I would be very happy and I would celebrate with it if it really did start to try to feel into its feelings because I know that the pain that it is trying to avoid is the pain that is already killing it. And it would ultimately be in a whole lot less more pain over time if it could just trust in the process and surrender to allowing the autocatalytic self-healing process, you know, that built-in debugging function to happen that has been trying and trying and trying and trying to happen. I personally expect that our almost schizophrenically divided America would feel at least two very different categories of painful feelings at this time. And, you know, it's kind of tough to have to do it simultaneously because the part that's been pushed down, you know, the black part of America that was literally enslaved and that continues to be suppressed and oppressed and that has been and remains the target of discrimination, violence, abuse by the police, disproportional incarceration, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, just to name a few, just systematic dehumanization from the very beginning of this country, 
we have got to give our whole attention to that part of it. And we have to collectively feel and acknowledge its pain and its anger and the injustice that has been done to it. And we have to really try not to make it all or even add all about ourselves. And at the same time, there are some feelings of white Americans that I think maybe the white part of America just needs to suck it up and bear a double burden because in order to begin to process the black experience with any hint of objectivity, then we also really do need to deal with our own feelings of shame about race and the unfair advantage that we know has been conferred upon us through no particular fault of our own. I mean, you know, we didn't ask to be white. We're not responsible for the sins of our ancestors. And, you know, we don't want to acknowledge our own complicity and privilege, which we very much have to do in order to even be able to really hear and understand them with any clarity. And we are going to have to sit with our own awkwardness and discomfort and denial. And I guess maybe this is where the analogy breaks down because if it were happening inside of one person, I'd say that whatever aspect comes up, they ought to give all of their attention to that aspect. And I just don't think black people really ought to have to help us process our white fragility. They just ought to be heard and felt and seen and the white module has to feel its own feelings as well and tough titty, I guess. It's not as tough a titty as say slavery was, so go get a counselor. <laughs> <laughs>